Welcome to Rising Tide Startups, where today's most exciting startup founders share their stories and strategies. They also deliver tangible lessons learned along the way that you can apply to your own startup. Each episode is a true masterclass. Make sure you take notes. Take it away, Kevin. Again, This is Kevin Pro with another episode of Rising Tide Startups, and my special guest today is Melissa Kwan. Melissa, thanks for joining us on Rising Tide. Thanks so much for having me. We've had a, had a great little kind of pre-interview chat here and, and just caught up on some things. And man, I feel like I have uh, geographically or virtually traveled the world just talking to you in, in just a couple of minutes here. I mean, this is it's amazing how many places you've been and, and lived in. But um, man, just share a little bit of your story with us. Yeah, so um, summaries, I've been in startups for 12 years. Uh, eWebinar right now is my third startup, uh, all bootstrap startups as well. Um, and, uh, my first two companies were in real estate tech. Um, eventually, you know, I grew up in Canada, but moved to New York a few years ago to grow my previous startup. Cause as you guys know, like anyone who's anyone in real estate is in New York. Exactly. Uh, it's literally the only city in the world where average Joe cares about real estate. And there's shows about realtors that people actually care about. Um, so I think that was, that was really special. Um, and, uh, left New York to travel full time uh, about four years ago, got sick of being on the road, um, discovered Amsterdam, loved being there, um, started building a little community. So in theory, we moved there, um, in 2019, but then, you know, pandemic happened. So then we didn't go back for a year and a half and, um, eventually kind of went back there and, um, now we're on the road again. So, so having lived in a couple of different places internationally myself, you you said that so cavalierly, you know, that said, you know, yeah, we just moved to Amsterdam. I mean, it's not quite that simple. I mean, so how did you establish residency and how do you, you know, when you move from country to country, there's, there's, you know, a multitude of different ways you can do it, but you can either stay there as a tourist for a certain period of time, or you can say, you know yeah. what, I'm going to start a business or I'm going to get a job or whatever. So how did you, how did you establish residency in, in Amsterdam? Yeah, I'm cheating on that a little bit. So, um, I am very fortunate to have three passports. Uh, I now have two. I did give up one last year just to simplify my life. Here's a card, um, pick a card, <laughs> any yeah. card. That's right. Yeah, but actually like I I haven't lived in that many places because mm -hmm. when we were on the road, we were truly on the road. Well, yeah, that, yeah like that's, we, a, that's a more you know, I think the idea is like, oh, let's go nomad and be in a place like Argentina for two months. But once you get there, you're like, but there's all these places I want to see within yep. this country. Yep. So we were never really in a place for more than maybe maximum two weeks. Mm. Um, and we never really stayed in one country for that long. So my husband, who's also my co-founder to, to eWebinar, um, and that's kind of another story, um, <laughs> he's Spanish, so he's got an EU passport. Mm -hmm. So buying property in, in EU made it very easy. Yeah. So yeah. I kind of tag along with that, but, but frankly, like I have not stayed in Amsterdam for more than 90 days at a time mm -hmm. anyway. Yeah. Um, and you know, and I do kind of have two passports that I rotate. So I'm, I'm cheating on that a little bit, but it's also because I know that if I needed to apply for a partner visa, um, I could do that through right. him. And, and frankly, a lot of these countries don't have limitations on like foreigners buying property per se. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, if you have the right passport and I don't, um, uh, I don't take that for granted. A lot of these countries actually just let you apply for certain programs. In fact, if you were American, there is something called a daft visa. It's like from like 
World War II or something like that, where um, in the Netherlands, it's like a hundred percent acceptance rate. So you can actually, if you are going to be a contractor of any business, you can get that visa to live in the Netherlands for two years. And then you can actually reapply for like another two or three years and then apply for your residency. So say, actually, yeah, uh, yeah. That's residency by then. Yeah. Yeah. So there's lots of these like cool programs, especially now with like startups, like Portugal, for example, has a mm-hmm. lot of these programs, like yeah. I have some friends I know moved there as well. So yeah, while it is like difficult, I think it's getting um, easier. Right. I mean, it, and you look at places like Estonia, you know, that has like this e-visa, you know, that you can get that's uh, that's like a digital, virtually is built for that, you know, kind of the digital nomad type visa as well. Oh, so, yeah, for sure. Like, yeah, I think, I think Bali has something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's like yeah. golden visa programs that, that in like different countries have different yeah. requirements. But I mean, the world right now is built to be flat, mm-hmm. right? It's built yeah, for Friedman nomading. was right uh, yeah. 30 years ago or whenever yeah. he wrote his book. That's right. So uh, let, before we kind of, jump into e-webinar i i love the whole space around kind of the you know remote work digital nomad space but it's interesting that you you've actually lived that lifestyle you chose to come back out of that lifestyle type thing so what were some of the pros and cons because i think a lot of our listeners you know have considered that and mm. you know and think you know what i've i've watched a lot of youtube videos and it looks glamorous <laughs> so yeah I, i'm ready to roll now so what what are some of the pros and cons in your part in your in your estimation I mean, the pros are like, of course, it it takes a certain personality, right? Mm -hmm. Like you have to be willing to have very little around you, like material things. Right. Like I did it with David and we like, yes, we like nice things. I'm not going to deny that, but we need very little. So we, mm. actually for three years, we mostly just took a hand carry. Like we hate checking in luggage. We don't want to go to the airport early and stay late. Like also I have like a um, like a fear of losing my luggage. Mm-hmm. So I need to have things close to me. I want to get in and get out. So we basically just traveled on a hand carry for that long, like, you know, in a backpack. All and right. yeah, we had like repacking spots here and there, um, like at an office in Vancouver, he had his ex and, and his kids in, in Paris. So we had like repacking spots where we, mm-hmm. where we would put like different seasons of clothes, mm-hmm. but just understanding that like anything you want, you can also just buy, like you yep. can just pick up. Um, so that was, um, so that was necessary, but like the pros are just, you get to see so many different cultures, you know, experience different foods, um, wine, art, and, and just the way people live. And I think you just have a very different appreciation for people and and life, right? No doubt about it. Changes you forever. Yeah. And then you also see like one of our first destination, I think, I think, no, our first destination was, um, Chile. In mm-hmm. Santiago, I would never think about going there. Mm-hmm. But then I think our friend that used to live there was going there. And before I went there, I'm like, oh, it's kind of third world. But it wasn't like yeah. it was like fully developed. They had all these co-working spaces and they actually had like traveling packs of nomads that this co-working space had contracted that like there would be like a different cohort every month. Wow. that will work out of there. And you just meet people from like all walks of life doing different mm-hmm. things and, and doing similar things as you. So the pros are really just like, it's just mind opening. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, and the con though is like, frankly, after like doing it for a few years, like you, you miss your setup, right? Like I love watching TV in bed, right? Like I love having my music, like my Sonos, like tiny speakers all over the house so that I can have like 3d sound. <laughs> And you never get that 
Like I don't need the, much, but I need good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I love to like just decompress doing like a stupid, you know, series on Netflix or something. That's what I do like every night, but then like, you don't have a TV in front of your bed. So you end up watching it like on your laptop. Like yeah. there's like things like that, that you kind of miss, like the comforts of like creating your space. But I just think like the pros outweigh the cons so much that it like, doesn't even matter. Yeah. I think, uh, I think of places like, you know, Portugal, like mentioned earlier, maybe Bali, Thailand. Um, I mean, there's so many places that, that are catering to, you know, this kind of digital nomad lifestyle in s- Southern Spain as well. And it's interesting to see, but I, I love the way you get you know, these packs of <laughs> digital, yeah. they like travel in herbs. Yeah. You know? yeah, it's yeah. It's actually, people have made a business out of this as well. Yep. Um, and all the places you name, like if you're making American dollars, and you're spending it in those yep. countries, like yep. you're living like a king. Like I moved Especially to New York. Southeast Asia. Yeah, yeah I'm, I moved to New York and I started a co-living space actually with two owners. Like we had a 3,000 square foot, five bedroom townhouse in the wow. Manhattan. Nobody could report it, right? We mm-hmm. were in our like late 20s, early 30s. But in order to be in the middle of Manhattan, that's just what you had to pay. And I wouldn't give up the experience for anything else. But our rent was 12,000 US dollars a month. Mm between, you know, four to five people, depending on like, yep. how many people are in the house at that time. Like yep. I personally- for a bedroom. Yeah, exactly. I was personally, was paying like 3,500 for a bedroom with like an ensuite. So that, like, I wouldn't even spend that much, you know, in South America. <laughs> so that part's a also a pro. In Thailand. That's <laughs> yeah. right. yeah, I'm, I'm now the yeah. mayor of a, of a village. That's, yeah, for $2,000. That's right, exactly. And then free food. That's yeah. right. All the house help. Yeah, yeah. They, I have cooks, cleaners, they, they do everything. So yeah, it's, it, is, uh, it, it is interesting because it does require a, a nice combination of your, your job availability, the fact that you can travel, you can, you have discipline to not stay in bed you know, till noon and, you know, party all night and go to the beach all the time. I mean, you still have to maintain kind of a semblance of, of normality in, in like earning a living, you know, so to speak, unless you just decide, Hey, I'm just going to take a year off and, you know, and I mean, afford that. I mean, usually the need to earn a living kind of keeps you in check. Exactly. <laughs> you're right. like, the guy I'm comes knocking on your doors now. and rents do you haven't paid this Yeah, month. you're like, I'm not retired, so I still have to do that. I mean, all that stuff gets a little bit tiring after right. a while anyway. But the other pro, I think it is it really gives you a different perspective on what is required to build a business. Like, I think a lot of people are like, oh, I have to, you know, I have to have a team and it has to be local and I have to do Mm -hmm. all this team building exercise and all this. And and if that's what you love, right, there's no one path to get to success or build a company, but that's never been what I love personally. The reason why I don't have any full-time employees is because I've always, I I know that I'm a bad people manager. (laughs) I know that I like the freedom. I know that I like to work with contractors. So, but, but doing that and seeing how other people do it and just being in different places makes you realize you can build a company in a very different way Mm -hmm. and you know the way that you like and still have you know financial success but also lifestyle success at the same time but you had to build it that way there had to be an intentionality that said you know i i know who i am you know the first step in recovery is to admit i got a problem (laughs) you know so hi melissa i'm a employee holic i hate people (laughs) that's right yeah um so hey, we've we've talked we talked about everything except for what you do and what you've built. So I I this this space is is your space. I would love to hear kind of the the genesis story of eWebinar and and uh, what you got going on or now. Well, ironically, I built eWebinar because it was infringing on my fun. 
it was infringing on the way I wanted to live my life. So I mentioned earlier, Entrepreneur I had to scratch yeah. their own itch. I mean, that's right. Yeah. I mean, it, like I had two companies before this, but my previous company was a, a real, real estate technology company in enterprise SaaS. So, you know, a lot of our companies were, a lot of our customers were in Canada and the US. Mm -hmm. So I was, and because we were bootstrapped, I was everything except for code like janitor wow, to yeah. sales to like CEO to, to, <laughs> yeah, to accountant, <laughs> right. like, yeah, like HR manager, everything. Um, and so I was the one that was doing all of these demos, all these repetitive demos, onboarding, training every single day. Sometimes I would have like, I think the most I had was like that, like eight back to back onboarding wow. and training Long for day. different customers that would come on board. Because anyone that sold, sold SaaS before knows that like you sell someone something that's the first day of the beginning of your life with them. Mm. And if they don't use your product, hey, Kevin, it's not your fault. Like, it's not my yeah. fault, it's your fault. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't make them use it. I already bought from you. <laughs> so what are different ways of getting them onboarded, right? You can send them a video, you can send them a knowledge base, you can do a webinar, right? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, or like a one-on-one -on -one meeting, whatever it might be. So um, with new users coming in every day, like there's not, it, there's not amount of webinars that you can do to actually onboard everybody that comes on. And what happens when they don't get educated on your product right away? They don't use it. They churn. Your customer gets upset because they're, they're down out not wanting to pay you and they don't want to pay you anymore. <laughs> no yep. one's using it. So not only was I doing these back to back, I wasn't doing enough of them, but I just, I was so exhausted that I didn't have the mind share to do anything else that I actually needed to do. And it was actually taking space away from doing things like wanting to connect meaningfully with a, mm -hmm. with a customer one-on-one. -on -one. I just don't want to do that anymore. Wanting to eat. And yeah. <laughs> and it just, it just didn't make sense to me that someone, let alone the founder, had to do a repetitive presentation every single day. Mm. And don't forget, I was doing these on like opposite time zones. So yeah. the first thing I would do when I land in a new city, new hotel or new Airbnb is I would test the internet. Like I would be in like Japan, test the internet. If that didn't work, I would have to buy like some sort of SIM card or some sort of like mobile mm -hmm. Wi-Fi. And then I would be in the lobby at 4 a.m. because then I didn't want to bother David to do like the exact same demo, same onboarding. So <laughs> I was always just dreaming of this product that would take a video, deliver it like a webinar because people actually don't like videos. Just because it's a web, like a video doesn't mean people are going to yep. go watch a YouTube video. They like webinars for, you know, the fact that they've blocked out a time on their calendar. Mm -hmm. There's a psychology to it. They can go and engage with a host and they can like answer poll, get resources. It's just a more interactive experience. Um, so I always imagine this thing that would do my job for me. Mm. Well, I can go and have fun. Like there were times where we would go out for dinner and I'd be like, oh, I can't have another drink because I have to do this webinar in like two hours and I don't want to look red. Because I'm Asian, anything I drink <laughs> makes me look bright red. And so I ran the company for five years. So this was literally a problem that I lived every day for five years. And after that company was acquired in 2019, I decided like this was the problem I needed to solve. Like there has to be more people out there that absolutely hate running webinars just as much as I do. And the funny thing is people are like, oh, you started this company because you love webinars. No, I started this because I absolutely hate running them. Mm. And I don't think people should do them like repeatedly. There are probably 95% of webinars don't need to be live. But how do you, so I don't want to get ahead of you here. So let's, when I, when I think of webinars, I think of two really distinct types. There is the live webinar where you've got everybody mm. coming in, they're running live chat, they're responding, the guys or gal or whoever's doing it stops and says, 
Oh, I see John just said, just asked this question. Let's touch on that before I continue type thing. Uh, spends the first 15 minutes trying to get the tech to work, you know? So <laughs> yeah. I, like, can you hear me is the most yeah, overused phrase yeah. in 2020. <laughs> Send me a thumbs up if you can hear yeah. me. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and then you got what I would say is just like a video disguised as a webinar almost that says, you know, I, I've taped this once. I, I am putting on this scarcity, you know, mindset when you register that says there's only three slots left and it has to be done by one o'clock today. Actually, that was recorded six months ago. And they're yeah. just kind of running this this over and over again. But how do you how do you take the benefit of the pre-recorded and kind of blend it with the, I guess, the higher value that I would perceive of being live? So number one is live is better is a perceived value. Mm. Because what else are you comparing it to? Right. Saying live is better is almost like saying, well, Kevin, you can only watch your favorite show next Tuesday at 11, <laughs> which is what we're doing with B2B content. Yeah. However, when we're consumers, like when we want to watch a movie, why is it that our expectations are different? I want to go to Disney Plus. I want to go to Netflix, Hulu. I want to pr press play. If you tell me when I can and cannot watch it, I'm going to get very angry as a consumer. <laughs> but why is it that in business, when we deliver content, we're like, no, you have to do it at 11 my time on Tuesday. Right. Like that actually has never made sense to me. So I think when people say, well, live is better, it's more engaging, but well, what are you comparing it to? Yeah. But I, I thought you said earlier, you said people hate video. What's, what's the distinction between well, when I say, when I say video, video, so when I say video, I'm referring to like a YouTube video. Okay. I, I don't mean hate. Right. Like, I mean, like if it's for a training or a demo or onboarding, like they're right. not going to go into a YouTube, Absolutely. like they want to go yeah. to an event. Yeah. Like they want you to deliver it. Yeah. Right. They want to be able to engage. Right. What's missing from a YouTube video is the ability to engage with a host. Right. Also to engage privately. I don't mean like, like no one's going to their YouTube video and answering all the comments, right? Yeah. Like that's not how you chat, right? That's yeah. not how you provide support. Um, I think the second scenario you, you do, mentioned- you're in trouble. Yeah, exactly. It's like a peanut it's my gallery. Customer supports yeah. my YouTube chat. Yeah, it's, like, it's like such a peanut gallery, right? Like nowadays, <laughs> you're like, why are you posting that? Like sometimes like we get some stuff on our YouTube channel. I'm like, why did you post that there? Like this is yes. totally irrelevant. And spam, um, yeah. Yeah, but then the second scenario you mentioned are like a video disguise as a webinar, but that like, you're probably talking about like, maybe five, 10 years ago, or there are these like kind of scammy marketers that yeah, have like kind of probably. deceptive. Yeah. Kind of like this. They, they could have been five weeks ago. I mean, they haven't yeah. all gone away. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And actually like anyone that has seen automated webinar solutions before, it maybe felt like, oh yeah, like that's kind of like d deceptive software. Right. Like you might've seen some other stuff before, but that's why we exist. Yeah. When I was trying to look for something to solve my problem, every solution I found was not only was it like poorly built and poorly designed, it was almost like the software was designed to trick people into thinking it's live when it's not with like fake chat conversations, fake sales wow. notifications. Yeah. Um, you know, but I, I, that's not what automating a webinar should be for. Yeah. Automating a webinar should be to free up my time and to deliver you a better experience, not a deceptive experience. Somehow, someone, some years ago in the marketing space made that okay. And then yeah. these software providers were like, oh yeah, let's, let's create something to support that. Like to create fake scarcity. I loathe that marketing practice. Mm -hmm. We do not support that every yeah. single day. Somebody comes in, signs up and says, Hey, where can I upload my chat conversation? I'm like, oh, we don't do that. We don't support that. In fact, we actively made a conscious decision day one to say, we're not going to have any of the features that help hosts deceive consumers because I don't want to be associated with that brand. 
Right. I don't want someone to come to an e-webinar and, and think, oh, last time I was here, that like I was like tricked into making a purchase. Mm. So from day one, we're like, okay, it's okay to lose those people because you can't win everyone anyway. But it's more important to me that we pick integrity over short-term revenue. Yeah. Because yeah, people I, are super sure. smart nowadays. And for every sure. day we, we are put in that position, especially as a bootstrap startup. It's really hard when someone's like, well, I'm not going to sign up unless you have this. It's very mm -hmm. hard to say, well, we're just not going to have that. Yeah. But you have to, yeah. right? So, yeah. you know, and, and that's just our, the, the, the brand and the vibe that we want to give out. So what we do is we really focus on delivering an incredible attendee experience that's all about video consumption. So if you mm -hmm. think about like what I call live first webinar software, like your GoToWebinar, your Demio, mm -hmm. your Zoom, they're all focused on delivering live meetings, right. right? So what happens when you focus on delivering the live meeting is the host is your customer. So what do you care about? You care about bandwidth, video quality, screen sharing, audio quality, yeah. right? But when you remove all that, which is like for eWebinar, we don't have a live component. Mm -hmm. Everything is centered around the video. The only live component we have is a text-based chat that's almost like intercom, right? So when you remove the need to take care of the host, what we're able to do is focus 100% of our experience on delivering a freaking amazing video consumption experience that is all about the attendee and how they want to engage with video today in the 21st century. So you come in and it's beautifully branded. There's your logo. So, you know, the company feels good about that, but you can also layer in what we call interactions. So polls, questions, pop-ups, banners, like things that make it feel less like a webinar right? and more like interactive TV. That is a two-way participatory experience not a one-way YouTube video consumption. And then there's that chat component that makes a webinar valuable. Me as the attendee, I can ask you a question. And if you don't happen to be there, you can respond to me later through email. Mm -hmm. But if you, are, if you are, are there, you can pleasantly surprise me by hopping in and say, hey, thanks for joining my demo or thanks for joining my training. People love that. But that, way, that asynchronous way of communicating is no different than what we are already doing today. We do that every second of every day. We send, we send yeah. our friends a chat. Yeah. They might not respond, but we're not getting angry about that. Right. We're like, oh yeah, they're going to get back, right. back to me later. Yeah. Every website you go to, there's a chat bubble that pops up. Hey, can I help mm -hmm. you? If you don't hear back immediately, there's an autoresponder and then you hear back, hear back through email. Mm -hmm. We didn't innovate anything. We just took something that was already working yeah. and we attached it to our, to our software to provide that the valuable experience that people expect in a webinar. And you've, you've built or at least incorporated like different modules you talked about, like a, uh, did you say a quiz feature or yeah. what other, whether you know, maybe polls, that type of thing. Yeah. So I, yeah, I'm, I am surprised that there's not a live option. I, I would have assumed that it was like live and you could have done both, but um, I, I feel, I mean, after your explanation, it makes perfect sense because there are other solutions out there. If you want to do a, you know, a live presentation type thing, but is there a, is there a way that like, let's say that I set up a, a webinar demo, whatever it is, and I set it out there and people are looking at it. If they interact, is there any notification that can be done to me, like on a real time and said, Hey, somebody's watching this and they just asked me a question or something like that. Yeah. Is that, yeah. A, yeah. That built in? I mean, yeah, it's a, it's literally exactly like Zendesk intercom, like any mm -hmm. sort of like support chat system yeah. is somebody messages you. Like if you're the moderator, it pings you, you can integrate mm -hmm. with Slack as well. Like, and you can respond directly from a Slack channel wow. without, without ever going into the platform. Um, but that's the whole idea is you can do this without being at your computer 24 right. seven. You do not right. have to press play. Yep. If nobody joins it, like 
you can carry on with your day. Mm -hmm. A lot of times I'm in bed or like walking on the street or at a restaurant while I'm responding to people that are in my demo. And sometimes I'll be like, Hey, like I'm in a cell phone store waiting for my friend. And so, because I want to let them know that like, this could be you, right? Yeah. Like when they're in my demo, yeah. they're like, Oh yeah, this is like super cool. And it's like hard to conceptualize because after building three startups, I realized like people's imagination is actually very limited. Yep. So one Even of the biggest podcast hurdles, hosts. yeah, like when the, <laughs> a lot of times, like when, when I tell people about this concept, they're like, but what does that mean? Like if I, cause I've run a webinar before, but I can actually run this all the time and I don't have to be there. What does that mean? But when someone hop into the demo, they're like, they immediately get it. Right. They're like, oh, yep. okay. Like now, like this is the experience my customer is going to get. Right. So it's been an interesting journey, but definitely uh, much harder than I thought. Um, because, you know, yes, there were like solutions before us that were out there, but they were just not built to serve the customers that we serve. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of the solutions out there were built to serve like internet cash marketers, right? Buy this now. I have 95% yeah. off. It's available for the next 10 seconds. Right? <laughs> like, you know exactly what I'm Both talking about. Get five free. That's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you get all this stuff for free. Um, but actually for the first time, like we're working with companies like you know, like a Zillow or like a Freshworks, mm -hmm. like people that never were able to automate their webinars before um, were able to now do it for them because we've, we've delivered software that makes them actually look good. Um, and it's almost like the Netflix of webinars, right? Yep. And now they're freeing up their time for their, for their CS team or their sales team to do, to do something else. Is the, is there a component that is like, you can schedule these at certain times or it can be on demand or is it yeah. all, all on demand? Yeah, so um, the really interesting data point that I have to share, um, if you look at like, if you go to Google and you say like average webinar attendance rate, you'd see that it's like sub 25%. Yeah, it's low. The average, and be, it's because there's only one session mm -hmm. at your time zone, Yeah. right? And now like when we talk about the world is flat, like your customers are everywhere. Right. A lot of people sign up for replays, but then like the, my inbox at least is like a replay graveyard, like who actually watches the replay? The quality is low. There's lots of interruptions, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's not as relevant to me anymore. Um, but the average attendance rate for all eWebinar customers across the board every single month consistently is 65%. Wow. That's and incredible. I believe it's because number one, there's a, ref there's a recurring schedule. Like you actually get to pick a time that fits your schedule. And as the host, you can say, I want on my registration page to have, um, you can register for a replay, which you can watch anytime you want. Mm -hmm. You can register on demand. I want to watch it right now. Or I want this to play every day at 10 and 2 p.m. at the attendees time zone. And what that means is if you're looking at the registration page from London, Singapore, Jordan, it's going to be 10 a.m. or 2 p.m. your own time. Mm. And you'd wow. also be surprised how many people watch these on weekends, like Sundays. Mm -hmm. And evenings, like we have a Slack channel that basically just pings us every time an attendee joins. It never yep. stops. Right. But that just tells you that when you're not working, like the, when you think the golden hour to deliver your B2B webinar is Tuesday at, you know, 11 in Pacific time, like it's actually not because people are watching them on weekends when your team's mm. not working. So yeah. giving people the flexibility to choose a time that they can actually make, it turns out they'll actually show up. Yeah. And it, it also pings something in their calendar. I mean, yeah. it puts something in the couch that says, hey, you know, by the way, I'm going to remind you 15 minutes for this. It's not like I'm going to leave this up to you to remember to watch this over the weekend or, you know, yeah. just pick it up whenever you get a, you get a chance. But so how long has have you run eWebinar? When was it when was it started again? 
Yeah. So I sold my previous company January of 2019. Yep. And I started it two months later. Wow. But it was actually a problem that I just, I just know this problem so well. Uh -huh. And it was just something that was just a pain in my ass, you know, like it was like, why doesn't something like this exist? And I sold my company for, I would say life-changing money, but it wasn't like retirement level. Mm -hmm. So I knew I needed to start something and I don't want to work forever. And like everything you put your mind to, like if you start today, it's going to take five years. Yep. To, you know, for it to really start taking shape. Right. So I didn't want to wait so long. Also technology is moving so fast It is that like people say barrier to entry is low, but I also think the moat is really high because consumer expectations are creating that moat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. Like everyone can create a piece of technology, but can you get someone to put their credit card in? That's the, that's the differentiator. It's, it's easy to start something, but is it easy to start something that really works? Yeah. And yeah, I didn't well, want to wait, yeah. right. The yeah. longer I wait, the bigger that moat's going to be. Yeah. So I started this a couple months after, and it was actually because I was doing so much research and I couldn't find something mm -hmm. like every few months I would look for something like did something else come out. Like, cause I really wanted to solve my problem. Yep. Um, and it wasn't until I was like, okay, I need to do something else. Here are, you know, the 10, 20 ideas I have. And I was just kind of like going through them, like process of elimination. And I asked myself like, okay, if this is something I keep coming back to, how would I feel if someone else did it the way that I imagined? Mm -hmm. Like, how would I feel? And I'm like, yeah, that would, that would really hurt. <laughs> so, and that's All those when notes I, was like, I had yeah. my journal. That's right. Yeah. That's when that's I'm like, yeah, I gotta, yeah. Like I have to do this. I have to be the one to do this. I bet you wireframe this in about 10 minutes, then, you know, on a, on a whiteboard, you, you could just map out the whole experience in about man you know. i yeah i definitely had all the features in my head. i didn't talk like we didn't talk to anybody like people like oh did you do customer research did you talk to anyone to validate your ideas like why do i have to validate my idea like number one is the best way to validate your idea is to make sure there's something else out there that you can improve on mm. like if someone's yep. like oh i have an idea it's brand new that. no one's doing it it's like well that's a red flag why is no one doing it you mm -hmm. need to think about that Yep. Like the world is so big. There's so many different ideas. Yep. Like you are not that unique. So <laughs> the best thing to do to do research is like, Hey, I want to do this idea. What else is out there that is similar? How have they failed? How can I improve on it? So I didn't need to validate that there was a business. Other people were already building this and they have a good business, yep. but they have a product that I wanted to improve on. So we just kind of built this in a silo. The first version of the product was all of my ideas. <laughs> And, um, yeah, I, and, and we basically just took it to a designer and said, okay, these are the features. And we kind of went through that, like, you know, five month long process of like actually wireframing it. I, uh, so, you know, later on in the little chat, we were going to talk about kind of the mentor moment about where you were going to give us kind of two or three really solid nuggets. I already wrote number one down. I mean, this whole idea of improving on something instead of creating something new. I mean, improve on a product or service instead of creating something new, because there is, there's already validation. You know, I mean, I have a friend predetermined validation. I have a friend, Victor. He is the best at being second mover. And he mm. taught me this. Mm -hmm. He was like, it's, it's worse to be first mover because no one has educated the market for you. Yep. And I kind of lived through that in my previous startup. Um, Both of them. 
just just the last one. My first one was an agency model. Mm -hmm. Hated that. You know, you chase a client and chase the invoice. No one wants to pay you on time, but then they want everything on time. So I did that for four years. Um, <laughs> this startup, I'm doing a little bit of that, but it's it's much easier to convince someone that they should save their time on because yeah. yeah. we're not selling webinars. We're selling freedom. Right. Right. We're selling your time and people love getting their time back. Um, my previous company was a little bit harder, um, but that was when I learned from my friend Vector. He's like, yeah, I love looking for, for like second movers. And he's made huge businesses out of that. And yeah, um, yeah and, and that's why I realized like you need to have something where someone else has told, told the market that, that this is good. I actually posted about this a few days ago on LinkedIn. It's like, imagine the BMW was the only car that was out there. And like the only like, like luxury car that was out there. And you're like, Hey, this is 75 K it's an amazing car. You should buy this. And then in your distant memory, you're like, yeah, but I've, I've seen my uncle have a car. And it was like a 1998 Honda and it kind of worked. Okay. Like, why is your 75 K? So as a first mover, that's how, like, that's what you have to justify. Mm -hmm. No one spent money on this before. And you're trying to get money like from their budget. Yep. And it's not on, it's not a line item. Like that's, Actually, that's it's the worse than thing. that. It's like, they haven't even seen their uncle drive a car. They're like, yeah. what's a car? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. why is it $75,000? Yeah, yeah exactly. Why do I need this? Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the, the business model itself. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of guessing this is a subscription model. I'm kind of guessing that I can I maybe depend on the number of webinars I want to do, how often they want to show. Is it based on audience size? How, what's the pricing structure around, around the, the model? Yeah. So um, because we don't have like a live component, like live audio, live video, um, anyone that's seen a webinar software before will know that they probably price by like number of attendees and like hosts and stuff like that. We wanted to remove all that mm -hmm. because like to my point earlier, we're selling time. Yep. Like our mission is to give people their time back. So we right. wanted to create a business model that aligned with our mission. So our pricing model is strictly based on the number of webinars you have published. A published webinar can have a recurring schedule. So I could have my demo as one published webinar. You can run it a thousand times. We don't care about that. It, it doesn't um, matter if you run it 10 times or a thousand. No. That does not matter. Okay. Yeah. Because um, however many webinars you have published is how much time you're saving. Right. So is it like one onboarding you're saving? Is it 200 you know, onboardings you're saving? So we've got different tiers uh, based on the number of webinars that you have published. Um, and then features are, are the same across the board. Is there, are, is there any like a add-on services? Like if I, you know, how to, how to do an effective webinar, how to set up a sales funnel after an, after your webinar, how to close a client that is a lead generated from a webinar, any of those, these additional kind of tertiary, you know, type add-ons that, that uh, if I'm, if I'm starting new, I'd love to have those as well. Or there are other services out there that are providing that, that you're partnering with. How does that work? Yeah. So a lot of stuff you mentioned are like pieces of content that we create with, mm -hmm. with a lot of partners. Yeah. Um, but you know, we want to be very careful about what we are and what we're not. Right. Um, so what we are is an awesome software company. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what we're not is an expert in sales funnels or mm. scripts or, yeah. you know, and there are like consultants, like experts that are out there that do this for a living. Right. So we do have some partners um, that we work with, but I also encourage, because the industries are so different. 
So I always encourage people to look for communities, whether it's like Slack communities, Facebook communities, or like some online communities where their peers are hanging out and throw the question out there and, and see like who in their area of expertise actually specializes in yeah. that. Yeah. And, and I, you know, we're still fairly early stage on this as well. So, you know, we could circle back in, you know, two to three years and you could have, you could have all kinds of things built out that are add-ons or, or whatever. But I, I really love the fact that, you know, you're, you're trying your best to avoid kind of the shiny object system or, or syndrome where, you know, well, there's something there and there's something that we could add on. <laughs> and you're like, we forgot what we're actually doing. We forgot what our, you know, our McDonald's hamburger is, you know, that we're, we're well, really trying to do well. In my first company, I, I mentioned it was an agency. I didn't tell you how it turned into an agency though. <laughs> so we started as a product, but because we needed the money, we said yes to everything mm. to get the contract. Yeah. And then before you know it, we were a custom apps company. <laughs> like I didn't even know that we were an agency until my friend was like, oh yeah, you run an agency. And I was like offended. I'm like, no, we're not. <laughs> like we're like a product company. He's like, no, you built different apps for different people. That's an agency. I was like, oh crap. <laughs> like, <laughs> you do right. run an agency that's and that's right. why this is so hard. That's so, right. and then in my second startup, I learned that like saying no to things is so much more important than saying yes to things because it actually frees up your time. Like every time you say yes to something, mm -hmm. you're saying no to something else. That's yep. your business. So when we think about add-ons, we don't think about those kind of ancillary services. We think about like, okay, in the future, what are some enterprise level add-ons that we can right. have? Like, is it like SSO or access control or like what kind of add-ons can we put for, you know, power users mm. um, that, you know, we don't have today that requires more support and more development. Um, that's, that's going to be the way we go. Like really yeah. staying focused on like what our software is. And, and to your, like, to my point again, about like saying yes to things, like so many people are like, why don't you guys do a live component? I want to have a two-in-one solution. You know what? Like you cannot have a motorbike and a bicycle in one. Like I had talked about earlier how a live first webinar solution is all about the host. An automated webinar solution is actually about the attendee, the viewer. Mm, yeah. That's why with Zoom, they care about the bandwidth and the video and the audio. And the video consumption experience comes second. Mm -hmm. So you, you can't actually have a two-in-one solution. Like, and, and that's what people have to understand is yeah. like, that's why there are specialized pieces of software. Mm. There are even people that come to us and say, oh, you should build out a CRM so I can ditch my CRM. It's like, do you realize a CRM is a whole different business? <laughs> we're not a CRM like, company. <laughs> no, we're not. But I realize that would be good for you. Do you realize to... you could detail my car while I'm doing yeah. the webinar? Could you do no, that like, as I, well? I realize you want to save $100, so <laughs> I have to invest another extra $5 million to build this. Exactly. And, and then still be you know behind you know the active campaigns or yeah. like you know the sales force of the world. Right. But that's, that's the world of software is like people don't fully understand that like to be really, really good at something, you actually have to go really niche and yeah. and that's what we we want to be careful about and that's i think that's why you when you look at kind of these these companies that are trying to be kind of one-stop shop they have a lot of solutions but they're pretty mediocre solutions they they're they're comprehensive but they can be pretty mediocre and when you really look at them on an individual basis the the solutions they have but i i, I love the the idea i love the the whole concept i love the the story behind it that said you know i had a problem I solved my own problem. I didn't need to do market research for two reasons. Number one, I, I needed it. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I knew there were other people out there like me that needed it. Plus there were already solutions out there that just weren't, 
you know, meeting the the entire need I had. I knew I could I could improve on that. That's that's a little bit of the entrepreneur mindset. Anyways, I can do that better. You know, yeah. that I, I can take that and do that better. And I think we have to have that. I really do. I think that's part of our DNA because you don't go into it going, you know, I can create a mediocre product that probably would be third, you know, uh, third or fourth place and almost as good type thing. So I, I, um, I think that, you know, you kind of, you know, you let your, your inner entrepreneur <laughs> come out in, in the birth of this, this idea. And based on the, just your experience as a CEO, as we're kind of wrapping up here today, what's, you know, let's, let's talk about a, just a couple of things that, that you really have learned along the way that, that are kind of industry agnostic that you think would really be, you know, germane to, to founders, especially early, you know, those behind you on the journey that are just getting started, you think would really be helpful. In addition to the two nuggets that I've already written down that, that are good, <laughs> they're about, you know, improve a product or service instead of creating something new. And the second one was, you know, you got to save, say no more to save time, to save your time. So what else would you add to the, the list? Yeah, I think to write off the, the this comment about like scratching your own itch, it's not really as simple as that, right? I think mm -hmm. um, ideas are dime a dozen. Like I had so many, I could come up with 10 ideas right now. Yeah. But only one of those ideas will help me get out of bed in the morning because only mm. one of those ideas I'm gonna be truly passionate about. And, and I, I think that like I fell into the same trap of thinking, my experience is in real estate because I worked in a real estate business. So I have yep. to create a company in real estate or I studied to be right. a banker. So I have to be a banker. Right. And when you think that you have to do something because that's where your experience or education lies and you don't put yourself first, which is what makes me truly happy. Mm -hmm. Like, what is that problem that I can solve or what is the work that I can do that makes me truly happy? I think you're doing yourself a disservice. And I did that. I started two real estate companies thinking I have to do that. But actually, I was never that happy because I hated selling software to real estate agents, frankly. <laughs> Didn't want to do that. But I, I did it because I spent years in it and, and it was successful. But I was always a little bit discontented because I never put myself first. Mm. And with the webinar, and I and and I want to say it was like an earned privilege as well, but also like have like I started my first company when I was 27. Like I barely knew where my left arm was, like let alone <laughs> my happiness. Like what is happiness, right? Um, but I think the most important thing is when you're choosing a career or choosing an idea, there's going to be one thing that you cannot stand not changing the status quo about. Mm -hmm. And then there's wow. going to be a bunch of different things that you're like, yeah, that's pretty good. But it's going to be so hard. Every step you take, it's going to be so hard that if you don't put yourself first and think this is the one, mm -hmm. like this is the one that I cannot stand not changing until you get there, you should like just wait a little longer. That, because that's that like, so good. that's where I had to get myself to. And I had 10 years of doing this Yeah, yeah. because I, I, and then from that point, I wrote a list of all the non-negotiables that I needed to have in my life in order for me to be happy. Mm. And that was tr a truly remote team. No more conferences and trade shows. Didn't want to see anyone face-to-face. -face. It was, again, infringing on my travel, right? Like, <laughs> don't want to do any more demos face Don't want to sell enterprise-level software. I want this product to be 100% sold through the internet so I can have my freedom. I don't want to need to jump on a Zoom call mm -hmm. because that's how it's sold. I don't want to do any high-level customer support. I don't want people paying me 50 grand a year. I don't want to take their call. So I made this big list of things. And then I kind of went down the list to say, okay, which one of these 
you know, is realistic for me to do and which one of these also reflects who I am. Like that was also one of my non-negotiables is I want to do something that like fulfills me, like mm-hmm. really makes me happy. And yep. for me, like freedom is my number one priority in life. You know, having nomaded, having mm-hmm. remote team. And I want to have a chance to give someone back their freedom. Right. And this was the product that I felt like reflected who I am the most. So unless you get there, like don't do it. Yeah. Because it just makes it, it doesn't mean you're not going to be successful. It just means it's going to be exponentially harder. And because I went through that process, even though things are hard now, I know I'm serving my happiness because I put it as my foundation. And then I built a career on top of that. I chose an idea, built a company on top of that. And now I'm acquiring the skills to get there. I didn't start with my skills. Mm-hmm. Everything oh. I'm doing, I've never built a SaaS company for SMBs before. I've never done marketing. I've always done one-on-one sales. I don't know what SEO is backlinking. I'm learning all that stuff now, but that is much more easy to acquire than to start something and then try to find happiness within that. Yeah. I One thing I didn't hear that, I, that I've heard over and over again on the show is, is you've got to be passionate about what you do, but you have a little different take. It's not that it's not, you have to be passionate about the product. You've got to be passionate about the lifestyle you're creating out of that. You know, you got to be, it's, there's a difference. It's, it's, it's not even subtle. There's a pretty distinct difference between those two things. You know, for me, like, it's so funny because people say you have to love your job. You should love your job. You love your job. You don't work a day in your life. Like for me, that's a myth. Mm -hmm. Do I love my job? No, Kevin, I don't like paying people like hundreds of thousands of dollars to build software that makes me 50 bucks or hundred bucks a month. Right. I don't love trying to recruit best people and lose them to, you know, Amazon. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, I don't love like not paying myself for the past three and a half years. All that sucks. Mm-hmm. Right. But what I love is the prospect of what it could bring for me. Yeah. Because there are like freedom for me, it's freedom. It's, yeah. it's financial freedom. It's freedom in my life. It's to choose what I want to do. Like, I don't believe you have to love your job, but it doesn't mm-hmm. mean I don't love what I do because right. I focus on the There's end There's a big goal. difference. And like a big difference. my work is 95% of my time and like 10% of my mind share. There are so many things I enjoy in my life, mm. like travel, community, friends, parties, music that has absolutely nothing to do with my job. Mm-hmm. And what I do, I know, allows me to do more of the things I care about. And that's and you're why heading toward I love doing more this. of that even. Yeah. And I, I, and that's why I love doing that, yeah. this. Yeah. And I, I, uh, it's been, it's a great story. I, I, uh, I love the product too. And, and just the whole, you know, kind of ethos behind it. And, and really, I mean, I can tell just the, the passion that drives you to do this and do this well. And, uh, you know, the fact that I, I love the fact you had your checklist that this idea has to meet these 10, you know, <laughs> prerequisites or I'm not going to do it. You know, yeah. the idea. These, that, that list is published on my LinkedIn uh, featured we will, <laughs> content. Yeah, so, so look up <laughs> Melissa Kwan on, on yeah. LinkedIn and get that list because I, you're going to, you need to write your own list as you're, you're doing your own, your own idea. But we've, we've talked about so many things. So is there any, any quick note that you just want to wrap us up with today and then just tell people where the best place to find you online? Yeah. If you want to connect with me, any questions about my journey, your journey, whatever, um, connect with me on LinkedIn. My last name is spelled Kwan, K-W-A-N. And uh, if you want to free up your time, if you hate webinars, hate demos, don't want to do all these repetitive Zooms, check out eWebinar. Hopefully we can help you uh, alleviate some of that. And it's uh, exactly as it sounds, eWebinar.com.
ewebinar.com. Melissa, thank you so much for just taking time today. And what a great way to kind of head into the weekend. And so we're, we're wrapping down another week here. And we, we talked about, you know, hey, we're heading into this weekend. We've made it through another another work week. We're almost there. <laughs> almost there. But thank you so much for just taking time and sharing with us and, and really just playing your part in helping all boats rise in a rising tide. Melissa, have a great weekend. Thanks so much, Kevin. Another episode in the books. We hope you heard some great takeaways. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes and YouTube. As always, thanks for listening to Rising Tide.